from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The December 11th attack in New York's Port Authority system was not a surprise to two top TSA surface and aviation security officials. Absolutely not. Bob Mellon told Target USA it was a matter of time. Well, there's 330 million people in this country, and not all of them are well-adjusted. And Stacy Fitzmaurice said... I share uh, Bob's thoughts on that. I, too, was not surprised, and, and that's a sad thing to, to have to say. It wasn't a surprise because intelligence has been predicting it. Um, I think it's something that we have seen coming. Uh, we know the concerns and are out there, and it's just a matter of time, um, and perhaps a matter of time when, you know, someone else tries something. But despite all the highly sophisticated technology and plans and ideas that TSA has in play, you may actually be the wild card. Many people are closed into uh, their phones as they're walking. Um, they're not looking around. They're not being aware of their surroundings as much. We'll discuss the threat, the technology, the plans, and of course, what it all means to you. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Four days after the suicide bomber's attack in the New York transit system on December 11th, 2017, Target USA sat down with the Transportation Security Administration's top security officials for rail and aviation security. One of our main questions for Stacey Fitzmaurice and Bob Mellon was, were you surprised? Absolutely not. Well, there's 330 million people in this country, and not all of them are well-adjusted. I, I think some folks look for things, and they may get twisted by, by folks that have an ideology of, of hate. I share uh, Bob's uh, thoughts on that. I, too, was not surprised, and, and that's a sad thing to, to have to say. Um, I think it's something that we have seen coming. Uh, we know the concerns and are out there, and it's just a matter of time, um, and perhaps a matter of time when, you know, someone else tries something. TSA and other aviation and surface security stakeholders have not just been sitting back and waiting for something to happen. They've been actively working on solutions, like a standoff explosive detection unit, which triggers an alarm if an individual carrying or wearing person-born improvised explosive device passes by the mechanism. It's a type of screening technology that can be used by transit agencies to detect potential threats, metallic or non-metallic by identifying objects that block the naturally occurring emissions given off by a person's body. 
it's another layer of defense. It's not unlike uh, the TSA uh, canine program where we support both for our agency. Mm -hmm. Everything has a play because we're really, it, it's a layered approach. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not a one whiz bang, it's, it's all of it together. It's the information sharing. It's our training and exercises. It's our grant program. Yeah. It all kind of it all kind of uh, meshes together to make it work. Yeah. My colleague in aviation, they have the same kind of things. They they have different layering approaches. Stacy Fitzmorris is deputy assistant administrator in the Office of Security Operations at TSA and is a subject matter expert on aviation security. So we have uh, technologies that are looking for both metallic and non-metallic threats. Those are deployed across the system. Uh, additionally, we have, and that's for, you know, uh, to screen a person. We also have technologies that are looking for explosives that may be in a carry-on bag, so your briefcase, uh, small suitcase, backpack type of thing. Uh, and we also have other types of systems that can screen liquids uh, or look for even trace amounts of explosives. And one of the key challenges for TSA is staying ahead of the creativity of terrorists. Terrorists have continued to focus on aviation, um, and it's something that they remain interested in, and that certainly concerns us. But we work closely with our intelligence partners to maintain the awareness of, you know, what they may be thinking, what they may be doing, um, and we're constantly looking at our security system to understand, you know, where vulnerabilities may be or where we may need to take and make changes to be able to address the emerging threat. The transportation security and by the time you show up here at Reagan National Airport or any other airport across the country, Fitzmaurice says the screening process has been well underway. So we have many layers of security and oftentimes um, people think of just as TSA is the, the airport and the checkpoints that they go through. But our security screening really starts way before a passenger ever shows up to the airport. It's informed by intelligence. The information on the passengers is transmitted to us in advance by the airlines. We're able to review that information through our secure flight system to look for any individuals that we may be concerned about and feed that information to our airports so that in advance of those travelers showing up, we would have awareness. Additionally, at our airports, uh, we have our security checkpoints, but we also have law enforcement presence. We may have canine uh, teams, and then on the actual aircraft, we may have uh, federal flight deck officers who are armed, or TSA FAMs. So there are a number of different uh, security layers in place. The one thing I would also mention is the role that the passengers have. And, you know, passengers are a vital part of the security system as well. They have the ability to see things that, you know, might be out of the ordinary. And so we really always encourage uh, the see something, say something. Mm -hmm. And so that if passengers see something, to definitely raise it to the local law enforcement so that we can take action on that as well. How many times have you either heard the message or seen a message urging you to say something if you see something odd? Jim Gregory, Deputy Assistant Administrator for TSA's Strategic and Communications Public Affairs Department, says the message is critical. And the New York Port Authority attack was a perfect example. I think that what happened is something that highlights the importance of vigilance amongst the traveling public. Um, I think that in our world today, it's too easy to 
to close yourself into whatever you're looking at. Many people are closed into uh, their phones as they're walking. Um, they're not looking around. They're not being aware of their surroundings as much. Um, I would never say that, uh, because I wasn't there, how this individual was acting beforehand. Um, but we have behavior detection uh, capabilities at TSA. That is something that it, we, we find to be uh, incredibly uh, important to our mission. And, and what it is, is, is individuals who are looking at how people are reacting, how they're uh, moving about their environment, and are they doing something differently? Are they behaving in a different way? Are they, um, I, everyone has those sixth sense. We all have it, you know, and, and you know that something might not be just right with that. And that's what's so important for, I, I would want that to be, uh, people to understand that they can be a part of the solution and that's something that we rely on so much. The terrorism picture has changed significantly since the massive 9-11 plot and attacks that took down New York's iconic Twin Towers and heavily damaged the Pentagon just across the highway from where I'm standing now at TSA headquarters. Terror groups are no longer focused on complex plots because of the changes in the way the U.S. and its partners fight terrorism. Terror groups now are looking for easy targets. We, in the past, we, we knew Al-Qaeda uh, was very interested in attacking the aviation system. Um, but over the last couple of years, we've seen ISIS emerge as uh, someone who was also very interested in doing that. But, you know, what remains just as big of a concern, I think, is the inspiration that those types of groups uh, sometimes are relaying. And, you know, where you don't know that somebody is becoming radicalized and has an interest in this. They may not have an actual affiliation with one or the other, uh, but the, they may have uh, sympathetic thoughts to those groups. ISIS is more in the forefront right now, but there's also a lot of particular philosophies that individuals may latch on to and then act on those. I mean, you really have to realize how, how daunting a task that is of an individual who maybe through an online search or reading an Inspire magazine, who starts getting pulled to one side. How do you, how do you really stop something like that? Talk about a lone wolf. A lone wolf. An individual who just, uh, who's looking for something else and feels that's the way. And after a short break, we'll get an answer to that question. We've already taken a huge step in the right direction. That's coming up when we continue with Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Just hours after we left our interview at TSA, another ISIS threat against the U.S. emerged. This time it was in the form of a poster that said, Wait for us. We meet at Christmas in New York soon. But on the poster was a very bold photograph of the National Cathedral, which is not located in New York, but located right here in Washington. The FBI has told us on numerous occasions, Washington is constantly in the stream of threats that they often intercept from terror groups and nefarious actors around the world. Aviation threats and rail and surface threats are always in the mix. And both Bob Mellon and Stacey Fitzpatrick lose sleep over those threats. 
And when they do manage to get sleep, when they wake up, they know what they have to do. I open up my email. First thing I do, look at my phone, see what uh, messages have come in overnight, and look at uh, anything that has occurred, as well as what the operational outlook for the day is. And Bob Mellon says he loses quite a bit of sleep because of the complex nature of surface transportation. I do, but we share the bothering. Um, our group um, receives information from the TSOC. Then we provide information to our leadership regarding what the incident may be. And then we provide some answers regarding uh, the incident. And regardless of how much sleep he loses. My day begins early because um, part of my function is marrying up what is going on with our uh, industry partners with what goes on in the intelligence community. So we, we, we get briefs from our Office of Intelligence Analysis. Uh, there's a TSOC report. The TSOC is the reporting entity. Uh, and then we also have a group who uh, does some analysis on that reporting. Um, we work with our, uh, our larger systems. They're uh, uh, called our peer advisory group. So we have monthly calls with them and we discuss issues, initiatives, uh, best practices, uh, problems of the day. So we create this environment where they're able to share information with one another and we're able to collaborate with them on the information sharing aspect of it. And Mellon will tell you, intelligence is the key to making the entire operation work effectively. For a little bit of outside perspective from the intelligence point of view, we reached out to Philip Mudd, former FBI and CIA executive and one of the best experts in the world at taking an objective look at terrorism. Philip, thanks for agreeing to spend some time with us. Um, you know, Several sources that I've spoken to indicate um, what took place in New York on the 11th of December may not be the last event we see during the course of this holiday season. We're very early in the holiday season right now. Uh, and given what we saw in, in Las Vegas and what we saw in, in New York uh, on, on Halloween and uh, other scenarios around the country, and of course, given this latest propaganda from ISIS featuring the National Cathedral, we may see more of this this holiday. As a practitioner, you have to say that's correct, not just because these are holidays, but think of it in a different way. Somebody in this situation of, of, of the fellow in New York or the Las Vegas shooter or the West Side Highway killer of, uh, last month is going to sit and say, how do I maximize casualties? How do I maximize the number of people I can hit? And clearly holidays, whether it's a Thanksgiving Day parade or a Christmas tree lighting ceremony, we've seen threats to those in the past or places where people congregate. That said, when I look at this as a private citizen, I step back as an analyst and say the statistical likelihood, even if you agree that the threat to gatherings increases, the statistical likelihood in 50 states with celebrations in cities across America that my family will be affected by this is minuscule. So you might say, you know, I'm worried because of what I see on TV, and my answer would be, well, step back before you have an emotional response because of what you said on TV. Please give me the odds that you're going to be hurt. And if you do the odds, the answer is go out to the celebration. The likelihood you're going to get hurt is minuscule. One of the real problems from other sources that I speak, speak to, and I'm sure you're, you're among that group, too, that says we spend too much time thinking about the last attack as opposed to the next one. Give me some sense of where, where this thing really needs to go to get fixed. We've already taken a huge step in the right direction. If you look at, and I would date this to sort of going back to the Boston bombings a few years ago, if you look at public reaction 
to events like this, people are increasingly saying, you know, uh, a, a catastrophic event is something we need to spend a lot of time on, but, it, but we should not as a culture be focusing on individuals who have a relatively minor, modest effect on American culture, American society. The governor of New York has talked about that. People have repeatedly talked about American resilience. We talked about Boston Strong. Just We've already seen huge progress. The second area, though, that I would expect to see more debate and more progress on is how do we limit the Internet activity of individuals like this? Mm-hmm. Is it okay for the government to look at activities short of illegal uh, operations by a terrorist? Is it okay to look at when someone starts to research things like, I want to buy backpacks and I want to buy ball bearings at the same time? That debate is beginning in this country. The most interesting part of that debate to me is not the traditional debate. How does, Amer- how, how does the, the Congress establish laws? The most interesting part of that debate to me is how do private companies and public companies protect themselves by acting before the law tells them to act? YouTube, again, has done this. YouTube has said we're taking off Anwar Awlaki, who is a preacher who is really influential among American kids. I think Silicon Valley increasingly is going to take action without the U.S. Congress, and I think that's great. That's how it should be. So what's your view of ISIS and how ISIS plugs into our future from a terrorist point of view here in the U.S.? When I looked at New York, I think one of the things we have to look at is the transition and how we understand the phenomenon of ISIS. People in this country think of ISIS as a terror group. I think of it as a as a transition far from where we were with al-Qaeda 15 years ago. That is, ISIS is becoming validation for any group grievance has. So if they have a grievance about Pakistan, drone strikes in Pakistan, America's presence, in Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan, what's happening in terms of American support for Saudi airstrikes in Yemen. ISIS has become the catch-all for people who are angry about anything the U.S. has done. So when I looked at this, I guess my concern was that this is another example of an individual who's, who's not a truly indoctrinated terrorist. It's just someone who's angry, and he looks at ISIS and says, ISIS tells me that it's okay to go kill people because of my anger. I, I think that was my takeaway from what I witnessed on December 11th. What's the takeaway here for terrorists and for the rest of us? The, the lesson here to me is that the fight continues regardless of the end of the caliphate of the sort of uh, state that ISIS declared in Iraq and Syria. I look at this in, in the context of ISIS setbacks, and, and I think somebody might look at it and say, well, ISIS has lost so much, much ground. How long will people like this continue if ISIS doesn't have a foothold to recruit them or to indoctrinate them? And I say, look, you know, the the phenomenon of terrorism has been around for decades. I would worry instead that ISIS will live on on the Internet and maybe in a new safe haven. Maybe that's Yemen. Maybe that's the Horn of Africa. Maybe that's somewhere in um, in North Africa. I look at this and say people in the future who are going to see, say, I want to be a part of ISIS don't necessarily have to say ISIS still has a state. All they have to say is ISIS still is an idea that we can, we can agree uh, for some extremists is acceptable. And like the fellow in New York, if I want to adopt that idea, I've got to go out and strap on a bomb. So what do you say to law enforcement and intelligence folks that you engage? Because you teach classes quite often for official law enforcement and uh, intelligence agencies across the country. What's your advice to them with New York's uh, latest attack on December 11th in hindsight? 
one of the first questions you have in any one of these cases, what is the lesson learned? And one of the frustrations is sometimes the lesson learned is not much. If somebody wants to sit in their house and build a very crude device in a country of 330 million people, please don't ask your security service to know about that all the time. I do think there are a couple of basic lessons. One is an old lesson. Uh, whether the family or a friend knew something and whether they chose not to pick up the phone. We're going to learn that in the coming days, but I think that is a critical lesson in this case. When radicalism comes home and it's not directed by a central organization, the people at home have to be the ones who make the call. The second and broader lesson that, that we're talking about here is where we will be in 10 or 20 years in terms of California Silicon Valley companies policing themselves to take off information like how to build a bomb on the Internet. Clearly, there are some civil liberties issues here, but that pendulum is already swinging. Some extremist videos on YouTube are already coming off. Preachers who used to be around a year ago are no longer on there. So I think there'll be questions about whether people like this in the future are even allowed to access not only ideological stuff like preacher videos, but also instructions on how to build a bomb. We are just starting that debate about what should be allowed on the Internet. In the middle of a very busy holiday season, the TSA and all of its partner agencies are stretched. And Fitzmorris wants the public to know what aviation security is up against. Multiple things. One is I think that they really do need to understand how dedicated uh, our officers are to protecting them and that our officers are dealing with, you know, over two and a half million travelers every single day. Um, and that in and of itself can pose a, a challenge. Um, you know, looking at even just the uh, holiday season that officially for us, in, in terms of how we are tracking it, starts the 15th of December and goes through the 8th of January. It's making sure that the travelers have the right information uh, before they come to the airport, know what to expect. We do want to be transparent with them on what will happen. Uh, and we put a lot of information out on our websites, give them travel tips on how to make their security experience uh, smoother, right? Mm -hmm. And that they don't run into challenges. We also put information out there as well uh, for individuals who might have some special needs and need some assistance where they can contact us in advance so that we can help facilitate them through that process. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the procedures that we've got in place are, you know, based on what we know the threat to be and are really focused on keeping them safe. It is not about inconveniencing our, our travelers. We too uh, have, you know, moms, dads, brothers, sisters that are traveling and we want everyone to remain safe. Fitzmorris mentioned that 2.5 million people a day are handled by the aviation system. That is a drop in the bucket when it comes to surface and rail transportation. Well, I think the number is around 10.6 billion riders a year. What keeps me up is you're, you're in an arena that is totally favored to the other side, yet you've had many, many successes by initiative, by passionate employees, uh, passionate federal workers, uh, passionate transit police officers who take a great deal of stock and, and um, this isn't going to happen on my shift. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do everything I can, day in and day out. And I've had the good fortune, uh, both in my transit policing career and here on the federal side, to work with a lot of those people. Um, sometimes um, I, I think our writing public knows what, what we're up against, what they're up against. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I happen to be one of the writing public, so um, I, I, you know, I interact with these folks. I, I we talk about stuff. Yeah. Um, so you actually try to engage people. Absolutely. Um, our, our transit police are face to face with these folks all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, I hop on the Mark train and I ride to Union Station and I get off at Union Station. I get on the red line, then I get on the yellow line, and. Um, yeah. I, I get a chance to talk to folks, and you know, this is um, this is everybody's transit system. Whether it's here, St. Louis, L.A., Bart, uh, transit operators, and and their riding public, uh, they, they take a lot of stock in what they're doing, mm-hmm. and um, we just we just need to be persistent and vigilant every day, as Stacy said, every day. That's only a part of the story, but that's all we have time for right now. TSA on the front lines of transportation in the air and on the ground. Have a good holiday, and next year we'll pick that TSA story up right away. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Please subscribe to our podcast, and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. Hi, this is Ben Dominich, the host of the Federalist Radio Hour. We're a daily show coming to you five days a week from Washington, D.C., where we interview our nation's top journalists, politicians, authors, chefs, economists, entertainers, and more. If you're looking for a contrarian discussion on news, politics, or culture, give us a listen and subscribe at PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, or at Apple Podcasts. Now. Stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.